Okay, um, I have the a privilege today to be um, starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the series. Do I need to use this thing? Wait. Family matters. Um, so we're going to be doing a series uh, all about the family. And the reason we're doing that is because at Good First, we love family. And we understand the church to be an expression of family in which everyone, regardless of marital status, whether you're married or single, regardless of age, whether you're old or young, which everyone is part of. We see church as family. Oh no, it doesn't work again. You'd think it would. There you go. Yes. Okay, um, and so today I am going to be speaking on marriage, um, and I have titled our preach today, our talk today, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And hopefully that will become clear why I've called the preach Jesus is better as we go through looking at marriage. Mike Reeves says this, the gospel has its roots in the father's eternal covenant with his son. With his son? With his son. Romans 8.29 says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God's mission, if you wanted to sum up God's mission, if you wanted to go through the books of the Bible and see the Bible overview, see what is God's mission, we find out that God wants a family. And that is at the root of the gospel. Why did God send Jesus? Why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why? To bring and adopt people in to God's family. That's the big story of scripture. God wants a family. And so at Good First, we love family. We together have been called in to God's family. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we prayed about and sung about today, that even though it cost us nothing, it cost Jesus everything to bring us into the family. And so as we open books like Ephesians, we see we are adopted, we are welcomed into God's family, in which Jesus is the first brother among many, many brothers and sisters to go into. And so we're adopted into the family. That's the story of scripture. And so that's us as a church. So individually, we have family units within the church, and those are an expression of the big family of Christ. They're a reflection of the big family of Christ. And so us individual units reflect the bigger truth that we together, all of us in this room, and many, many others around the world, are adopted into the family of Christ. And so that's why we believe that family matters. That's why we believe that family is important, because of what it represents. Because of what it... I'm really struggling to speak today. (laughs) Should have done some, like, mouth exercises. If there's any singers here who can teach me how to sort of do that stuff, then maybe I can um, do that next time. Um, But, yeah, so the family, the family unit represents the bigger story, the bigger picture, that we together are brothers and sisters in God's family. 
I haven't got this scripture. Matthew 5 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. As Christians, as the church, we are supposed to shine. We are supposed to look different. We are supposed to be like a city on a hill where people can see you individually and corporately are different. I remember working in a school in the UK before we moved over to Sweden, and one of my friends, after a few years of knowing him, a few years of working with him, was shocked to find out that I was a Christian. Absolutely shocked. Because I'd been going along, um, when they'd been going out, perhaps I'd been having a bit too much to drink, when he'd been t- gossiping and stuff like that, I'd been joining in, and suddenly, one day, I told him, I'm a Christian. And he was absolutely shocked. He looked back at me and said, you, you're a man of the cloth? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. He didn't see, I didn't look different. I didn't look different to anyone else. I didn't stand out. I wasn't a city on a hill. I wasn't shining like a light. Jesus calls us to shine like a light. He says, you will be different. People will be able to tell that you are different. People will be able to tell you you are a man of the cloth. And that was basically my nickname from then on. He, <laughs> if, if he swore or anything like that, he was like, sorry, sorry man of the cloth here. Um, and so it actually changed, it changed our relationship. Because I wasn't living at the beginning with this outright, I, I am... Uh, I am different. This is, these are my values, and they may be different to your values. And culture has a lot to say on family. Culture has a lot to say on being single. Culture has a lot to say on sex. Culture has a lot to say on how we raise kids. Culture has a lot to say on church. And Jesus said, we are supposed to shine. We are supposed to look different to culture in some aspects. And therefore, it's really important that we see what God's word says about these issues, about sex, about family life, about raising children. If we are to shine like lights, if we are to be a city on a hill, if we're not just to follow along with culture and say, okay, well, if culture says that, we go along with that. No, we need to be a people that open up the word of God and see what does the word of God say about family. What does it say about sex? And so over, up until Easter, we're going to be talking about different subjects, different things that culture talks into. Today, we're going to be looking at marriage. Next week, we're going to be looking at sex. Uh, the week after, we're going to be continuing with marriage. Nina and myself will um, do a more practical session in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we're going to go on to look at church as family. We're going to look at raising kids um, with challenges. Rob and Joe Horn will be um, coming over to speak as well, a couple who so speak into us as a church. But the reason we want to do that is because we want to see what the Bible has to say on these big issues, how you raise your family. I remember even moving from the UK and talking about when we have kids, how the different cultures, how that's going to affect how we raise our kids. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to think about that. But the most important thing is we've got to turn to Scripture and see what does Scripture say about raising kids? What does Scripture say about sex? Not, maybe not so many churches talk about that, sex. So we're going to be looking at that. What does Scripture say about marriage? What does Scripture say about being single? So important to see. And before we go into marriage, I've got two things I want to say. And the first thing is... I don't have all the answers. So I've been married uh, 11 years, had 
a kid, kids for four years. I'm just trying to think how long, how old is Freddie? That took far too long. He's three and a half. His birthday is March the 20th, right? Almost four years. I've been a son for, let's uh, round it down to 21 years. So I've got some experience in marriage, raising kids, being a son. But actually, the reality is that I stand here in front of you with a lot to learn. So please don't think, okay, now Josh is going to be giving us all like these, like these insights into his brilliant marriage, into the way that he brilliantly raises um, Freddie and Oscar, or the way he was a brilliant son. <laughs> if you know me, none of those things are true. I stand before you this morning like broken, like as a broken individual who's uh, hoping to point us to Jesus who's hoping to point us to scripture. Um, and I think, to be honest, if I'm to do this, if I'm to stand in front of you in 40 years, I think, I hope I'll be able to say the same thing. I've not got it right. I've still not got it right. Because we're a work in progress. And it's so important to understand, whether you've been married for one year, 20 years, 100 years, you're never going to get it right. It's never going to be perfect. And we'll come on to that later. But I'm... So... I want to point you to Jesus, I want to point you to scripture, like, this is a mirror, you don't see me, okay? I'm, I'm learning just as much as everyone, hopefully. And the second thing to say is, um, there's different people in the room. Some people are married, some people are single. Some people have kids, some people don't have kids. You may or may not right now be thinking, well, this series is going to be a bit of a waste of time. The reason we are doing this series is because it's so important that we see what Bible, the Bible says into our culture. It's so important that we all learn together, that we all get an understanding together, whether you're single or married, whether you're going to get married or you're not going to get married. Actually, it's so important. These are some big, big topics that we're looking at. Interestingly, there's all sorts of different cultures represented here, and there's all cultures around the world fascinating how like cultures differ okay i hadn't heard for example i say this every week i think about picanha until i came here but now i know it's this brazilian way of cooking meat i didn't know about that that's this brazilian culture it's different from the united kingdom it's different from the english culture there's one thing that's the same that's marriage marriage is found in every culture so it's so important it's such a big topic it's so important that we understand what the bible says about it interestingly Paul, the apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament teaching on marriage, was single without kids. So we've all got something to learn here. We've all got something to listen to. Okay, that's my phone. I'm just going to turn off the Bluetooth, excuse me. And we'll stop the beeping every so often. Okay, um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are, Jesus. We just, just again, we just enjoy coming to you this morning and just seeing that you are, you are the one that we put our hope in. You are, you are our rock. Uh, Jesus, we just want to say again, we love you. Um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, just speak to us as we open your word, God. We just pray, may you highlight things. Again, Lord, let, let, us, let us be a people who learn from Scripture. Let us be a people who are humble, um, who sort of put our preconceptions, misconceptions to the side and say, now what does the Bible say about marriage? What, God, do you say about this topic of marriage? Do be our teachers today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as I said, today it's, a, um, it's part one out of part two, and then Alid is doing next week, like he's doing a pause when we look at sex, and then we're going to be doing part two where it's much more practical. 
Uh, Nina will be giving you much more practical things. This is how to put up with someone who's really, really annoying, who's watching far too much football. She's got all the tips. Um, so we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. But today, it's going to be a lot more um, just like, okay, let's see what the Bible says about marriage. What is marriage? What is the meaning of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? So it's not going to be so many things to land necessarily and say, okay, well, we can put that into our marriage. But hopefully I'll give a bit of an overview on what marriage is. Because marriage can be confusing. Even the word itself is difficult. Even the word marriage can be difficult. It can bring all sorts of emotions. It can bring good emotions. You can have good experience of marriage. Or it can bring bad emotions. You can have bad uh, experience of marriage. It can bring good memories. And it can bring bad memories. Interestingly, in the Oxford Dictionary, um, about eight, ten years ago or something, the word itself, the word marriage, which was very simply defined as like between a male and a female, was getting, okay, but we need to redefine this word. And so the actual word marriage got redefined about eight years ago to not just male and female, but to male and male, female and female, to, to put um, homosexual relationships into it as well. So this word marriage can be difficult. And then when we bring in all of our different cultural expectations it can get even more confusing. But what is marriage? This is what it's like to be married in the UK. It could be very different to Africa or Brazil or Sweden or wherever you are from. So in the West, we value things like individualism. We value things like consumerism. We value things like me, self. And what that helps do with marriage is undermine the very aspect of marriage, the very reality of what marriage actually is. And so our culture, when it says, buy this, fulfill yourself, do that, what that is doing is undermining what marriage is supposed to be. And that's in the Western culture. And it might be different in the culture that you're from, but we bring all these different aspects, all this baggage of, of marriage to the table. And so it's so important, as I've said, to understand what the Bible says about marriage. Because the Bible speaks over all cultures. See, primarily, I am not English. Primarily, you are not Brazilian or Swedish or African or whatever nation. Primarily, you are citizens of heaven. That is our primary identity. That is who we are. And so what we've got to do is we've got to let the Bible speak into that. We've got to let the Bible speak into us, not necessarily culture. Because the Bible, the Word of God, transcends culture. Maybe slightly different applications, depending on where you are, but it transcends culture. And so what does the Bible say about marriage? It says a lot. It says a real lot. And I definitely can't cover it in the next 20 minutes or so. Um, but we're going we're gonna to do our best to just look at a bit of an overview, some reasons for why we get married, for why it is so important to talk about. And we turn, we don't have to turn there actually, but in Matthew 19, Jesus, we meet him being talked to, being questioned again by the Pharisees, the people who are trying to trip him up, the people who are questioning him, the people who are wondering what his opinion is in a lot of different um, areas. And they talk to him about marriage, and they basically say to him, is it okay to get a divorce? Matthew 19. Is it okay to get a divorce? 
They asked Jesus. Because at the time, there's these two different teachings. Because Moses said something quite vague in the book of Deuteronomy, there are these two different teachings about divorce. And, and some people are siding with this person, and some people are siding with this person. But the reality is that divorce is rife. There's a lot of divorce in the culture, just like there is today. And so the Pharisees are wondering, Jesus, who are you with? Are you with this guy, or are you with this guy? Where do you stand on divorce? How do you understand Moses? How do you interpret what Moses said? Who are you with? And Jesus, and Paul later in Ephesians, doesn't say, well, I'm actually with this. I think this interpretation is right. And he doesn't say, well, actually, I think this interpretation is right. He says this, have you not read? Have you not read? What Jesus does is instead of siding with one side of the argument, instead of looking for like the most charismatic person who can put aside the best argument, he says this, have you not read? He turns to scripture. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to turn to the same scripture that he turned to when he was asked, is it okay to get divorced? So if you have your Bibles, um, please do turn them to Genesis chapter 1. And as you do that, just again say it regularly, but just really want to encourage you, read the word of God, get into scripture, it's so important, even Jesus read scripture, kind of gets lost from his parents, where is he? He's learning, he's reading scripture, and so that meant that when he was able to deal with, uh, when he was asked questions like this, he was able to deal with them biblically, he wasn't able, he didn't just say, oh, I don't know, I'm going to go with that person, he says, no, have you not read, do you not understand what scripture says? And so he turns to Genesis 1, and in so doing, he reveals God's design for marriage. He he shows the Pharisees, the people who are listening, this is what God has designed marriage for. It's relevant for every culture. It's relevant for every time. This is God's purposes. This is God's design for marriage. This is the first place that we turn. Um, And so we're going to read from Genesis 1 and verse 26. Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then we're going to flip over to Genesis 2, uh, verse 18. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, poetically, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so from those uh, two bits of scripture, I want to headline, literally, seven, seven things that we can get, both about male and female, and also about marriage. And the first thing I want us to see is um, that we were made to enjoy God both male and female, in marriage and outside of marriage. We were made to enjoy God. Notice the day that God makes man, on the sixth day. So the first day, the first full day for man and woman is the seventh day, the day of rest, the day where they can just enjoy God's presence. We were made to enjoy God. That's why people are searching after things. That's why the whole world, whether it's finance, whether it's job, whether you know family, whatever it is, relationships, people are searching for something. Because the reality is that every one of us were made for relationship with God. We were made to enjoy God. And if you don't have that relationship, then you're searching for it in all sorts of places. And so, male and female, outside of marriage, inside of marriage, you're made to enjoy God. And so that's when we see, as we go into Genesis 3, and God's walking in the cool of the evening, he's like, Adam, where are you? Because there are people who enjoyed God's presence, Adam and Eve. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. It was Adam and Eve and God enjoyed each other's presence. Second thing we see um, in verse 26 of chapter 1 is that we are made in God's image. Let us... Make man in our image. And when we read man, don't just think male. Read mankind. Okay? It's a better interpretation. So we're talking about male and female. Let us make male and female in our image. Friends, we're created in the image of God. So important that we understand that. Earlier on, we see these animals being created, fish and birds and you know, all the animals. And then he says, no, let us make man in our own image. Let us make mankind, female, male, in our image. Friends, we are image bearers of God. We are representatives of God here. So when we talk about marriage, when we talk about family life, when we talk about all that is, let's not talk about it and think this is where we're going to get our identity. Let's not be a people that think, I get my identity because I'm a married person. I will get my identity when I become married. Let's get our identity from the fact that we were created in the image of God. That is 
That is where our identity lies. That is who we are, created in the image of God. We are his representatives here on earth. That's where our identity comes from. 127, male and female, he created them. So all the way through uh, chapter 1, in the creation account, he's making, um, God is making light and darkness, land and sea. He's making these binaries, these opposites. Okay? Land is opposite to sea. Light is opposite to darkness. Then he makes male and female different, but equal. It's really, really, really important that we see this again in our culture there's, it's kind of like confusing the two and saying, well, if you feel like a female, even though you were born a male, well, you can be a female. It's how you feel. We see it here very, very clearly that God makes male and he makes female. They're equal but different, having different roles. It'd be crazy to think like light is greater than darkness, or the sea is greater than the land. No, they're different. They are opposites, but they are equal. And friends, so we've got to understand that in this culture today that says, come, you can be who, you know, be who you feel to be. We need to understand, no, God created male and God created female. Both wonderfully different, but absolutely equal. We need to understand that. Made to multiply, uh, verse 28 of chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. So marriage is a place where kids are brought into the world. Now, sadly, we quickly get on to see in the story that not everyone can have kids or struggles with kids. Abraham and Sarah is a real struggle. And we live with the reality that not everyone can have kids. I think often most people have some story to tell, whether it's them personally or people they know or family, where it's been a struggle, where it's been difficult. But if you have kids, they're to be had in marriage with a male and a female, a mum and a dad. That's God's plan. Family, it's, it's one of the reasons God created marriage, so that you could bring children into the world together. Marriage is a partnership. Verse 28 of chapter 1. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on earth. Marriage is a partnership. It's two people coming together and going on mission for God. This is absolutely, I'm saying this is vital that we get this. This is vital that we get this. This is vital. This again is vital that we get this. You don't get married with the sole purpose of having a candle lit dinner on a Friday night. You don't get married just for romance. Okay, as important as those things are, we'll find out in a minute. You get married to go on mission. You get married to partner with someone and say, right, we are going to look after this world. We're going to be fruitful. We're going to multiply, multiply. We're going to have dominion. We're going to rule over creation. We're going to do what God has called us to. That's why it's so, so vital that you marry someone that is equally yoked, that is on the same mission as you are. That you marry someone who says, no, I want to go after God. Because if you're saying, I want to go after God, and they're saying, ah, you know, once a month, I might maybe go to church on a Sunday. 
You can't partner together. The meaning of marriage, it's a partnership to work the land, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. John Mark Comer, who has written a fantastic book on marriage, I think we'll recommend it, we'll advertise it in a couple of weeks. Uh, He says this, Couples who exist simply for one another are doomed to failure. If the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse in on itself. If the end goal of your relationship is your relationship, it will self-destruct. The aim of marriage is not just about the marriage. It's about joining with someone else and going on mission together for God. So again, vital we understand this. I love the New Frontiers, the, the family of churches that we're part of. They say, together on a mission. Okay, so we were able to say, even though we're here and there's other churches in the UK or Canada or wherever it is, we can say we're together on a mission. We're going after something. We, we want to make Jesus known in the nations. Actually, that's a great strapline for your marriage. Together on a mission. Together to work the land. Whatever that looks like for you. But join in with someone who can help you, who can partner with you, who can do that together. Um, made for intimacy. Chapter 2. Now we're on to, um, and verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Adam is kind of, his naming the animals. And we see this in chapter 2. God says, name the animals. And trying to find a helper. And he's kind of like, naming the elephant. And, you know, the elephant's nice, but it's not really a great helper for the man. And he names, like, the fish. And it's a dolphin. And he's thinking, that's nice, but not really a great helper. And he's going through all these names. You know, it's a hard day at the safari park in Eden. And God says, there's, there's no one suitable. And so he creates... Eve, and as soon as Adam sees Eve, he doesn't just call her another name, he breaks out in poem, poetic language. So this at last is bone of my bones, it's flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. There's this beautiful poem that Adam just breaks out into. Why? Because he's attracted to her, because she is different. He gets excited. And so marriage is made for intimacy. Sex is a good thing. It's a gift from God. In marriage. And we're going to, Ali's going to, I'm not going to touch that much more on that because Ali's got a whole 45 minutes of you for that next week. For you, for that next week, which is going to be wonderful, I'm sure. So I'll leave that to him. But it's a good gift. And so we, as male and female, are made for intimacy Two twenty-four. therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh it's a new family this is something that quite a few young married couples struggle with not everyone but leaving mummy and daddy not thinking oh well I've married mummy she I mean you don't do my washing like mummy used to do my washing or you don't cook food like Daddy used to cook food, or whatever. Actually, young couples really struggle with this sometimes. And I, I think, I mean, it's, I think, fair to say, honestly, to say, like, it's a struggle we had. Now, you, you leave your mum, and you leave your dad, and you become one new flesh, one new family. 
Again, in the UK, um, at a wedding, the dad or whoever, someone will give away the bride, and they'll walk down the aisle to, at the front, the bridegroom waiting there to receive. And it's this, like, it's this act, this physical act of actually a spiritual reality that like they're saying, right, dad's saying, survived, now it's over to you. You're now a new family. I seem to remember when Nina's dad did that, I'm pretty sure he said something to me. Like, I'm going to kill you if you don't look after us. I mean, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure she said, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he said, like, there you go, she, she's yours to look after now. Because we, 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 we become one new flesh. You've got to, again, probably talk about that more practically in a couple of weeks, but you need to leave your mum and your dad. You don't, thankfully, marry your mum and dad. So there's seven things that we see in those two uh, pieces of scripture. And in 131, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Marriage is very good. And so God, he finishes every day with it is good, it is good, it is good, light and darkness is good, land and sea, it's good, animals, they're good. He sees male and female, and he says, it was very good. He's pleased. A good God gives the gift of male and female to each other. But then we turn to Genesis 3. The following story, after seeing all that marriage can be, we, after seeing man and women called to rule over, to have dominion over, to control, to look after, to flourish, to rule. As we look into Genesis 3, Eve isn't ruling over creation. Creation rules over her. Did he really say? Did he really say you can't eat? Eve, Adam should have said, I rule over you. This is my role. We have been given authority to have dominion over this earth. I want to rule over you. But instead, creation rules over Adam and Eve. Did he really say, and we all know the story, and then God's walking in the cool of the evening, Adam, Eve, where are you? Just to enjoy your presence. And as soon as God said, what's, what's going on? It was her fault, Adam says. Takes no responsibility. This oneness that marriage is all about is about two becoming one. Suddenly, Adam's like, oh, it's nothing to do with me. It's her. He takes away any of his responsibility when the reality is he was supposed to lead with her as one new flesh together to rule, to have dominion over creation. But creation says, no, I'm going to rule over you. And so sin comes into the world. It's perfect oneness, broken. As literally you see this separation. Adam says, I've washed my hands. It's nothing to do with me. It's her fault. And really the reality is that we live in a day that is a result of this. That marriage has been infected by sin. That every marriage, as good as it is, has at the root of it this disease called sin where we do end up looking at ourselves, where we don't see ourselves as one necessarily where we lack responsibility sometimes where we let creation rule over us sometimes rather than saying no we are to rule over creation
which takes us back to the beginning, which takes us back to Matthew 19, which takes us back to the question that the Pharisees had. Is it okay to get a divorce? So that question would never have been answered, asked in Genesis 2. But it brings them to that question. Why? Because we're full of sin. Because we bring our brokenness. As I said right at the beginning, I'm broken. I don't have all the answers. We bring that into an imperfect relationship with another person who is broken and sinful. And so in Genesis 2, Genesis 1, we get this glimpse of what marriage was designed to be and what it can be, but we live with the reality of Genesis 3. We live with the reality that sin is in the world, that sin is in our marriages. Therefore, marriage cannot be the sole aim of your life. Marriage Marriage, marriage cannot be the same, the, the, the sole hope of your life. Do not put all your hope in marriage. Do not say, I am living for my marriage. Do not say, I'm living to get married. Because you will be upset. You will be disappointed. Because at the end of the day, it's just another person full of sin. It's just another imperfect person. Another person who's broken. Another person who can't satisfy. Another person who can't fulfill. Whether you are married now, whether perhaps you'll get married into the future. We cannot put all our hopes in marriage because of Genesis 3. But there is hope. Ephesians 5. I have a new Bible, by the way. But it doesn't have a um, bookmark. You know, like one of the um, bookmark things? I'm going to have to learn where all the books are. Mm. But Ephesians, I know where that is. The reason I got a new Bible, uh, this is waffle while I find the Ephesians. The reason I got a new Bible is because Ephesians had fallen out. The book of Ephesians had fallen out of my Bible. So it's because I preached from it a few years ago. So I do know where it is, I promise you. Do I? God's Electric Power Company. After Corinthians, right? Yeah, yeah, here we go. Okay, yeah, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God's electric power company. Um, Chapter 5, waffle finished, I am there. Um, It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Hello, have we heard that before? Jesus said that in Matthew 19. Genesis 1 says that. But Paul says this, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is, was never just for marriage. Marriage is a signpost. Marriage is a reflection. Marriage is part of something so, so much better. So, so much greater. Jesus and his bride. Jesus and his church. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that marriage to becoming one flesh refers to not male and female, but to Christ and his church, the bride. And so we can have hope in a marriage. We can dream of one day a marriage that will fulfill. 
a, one, a, a wonderful marriage that will satisfy every need. We can dream of one day no more pain and suffering and tears and heartache. But it's not the marriage between a male and a female. In Revelation 21, we read this. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. We have a future hope. A hope that whether we're married now or not married will be fulfilled, not in someone else, but in Jesus when he comes to take his bride, the church. That is our hope. Marriage is good, but it's just a very dim reflection. It's a signpost towards the greatest marriage. Scripture starts with a marriage. Sin comes into the world. And then it ends with a marriage. A happy forever after. Like the best Disney ending you can ever imagine.